Hey there, just a quick reminder, we have a mentorship program if you're looking for personalized coaching and mentorship to help guide you to the next level of your interior design business, whatever that might look like for you, whether it's processes and procedures or what services to offer to how to incorporate wellness, intention, or spirituality into your projects, come join us over at designcoven.com forward slash join. Or if you're just in search to connect with other like-minded interior designers, you can join our free community also located at designcoven.com forward slash joy. Welcome to episode 69 of the Holistic Interior Design Business Podcast. And today we have a panel of three interior designers that are going to dive into their origin stories, how they got into the design business, a bit about their experience. And then we also talk about their pricing structure and which is always really fascinating and interesting since everyone does their pricing uh, differently. And I'll definitely have an episode on how I conduct my pricing because I feel like it's always changing and evolving as we grow. And um, yeah, so we've got three awesome designers. So today we've got Rihanna from Title Interiors. This is the founder and principal interior designer. We've also got Anna coming on from BCID Studio, who is the co-founder and principal interior designer. She's really cool because she works on both sides of the border in the States and in Mexico. And then we have Elizabeth Aaron uh, from Elizabeth Aaron Interior Design to give us her knowledge as well. And before we bring them on, I'm going to go ahead and pull us a card and light a candle. I'm going to light our candle first to set the, the space, connecting all of us together with intention and some clarity. The past few days, I've been pulling cards that were all about clarity. And so I'm really feeling that today. So I'm going to go ahead and light this beautiful Mithras and beeswax candle for us and pull a card. I'm going to pull a crystal card from the Radiant Crystal deck. I want you to see what energy we have for all of us today. Picture Jasper. And this is compassion, nurturing, and relaxing. This is connected to the root chakra. And the affirmation here is, I am clear in my vision and future goals. That's so funny. This clarity and vision has just been following me this week. So I obviously need to get super clear as to where I'm going and what I'm bringing forward, especially with all of you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions. All these ladies that are on the panel today are so rich with wisdom and information. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And I'm sure that, um, they or I would be happy to answer anything there for you. And like I said, this is an interior design panel from October within the Design Coven, which is our mentorship program for holistic interior designers. And it's open to anyone that's interested in the realm of holistic interior design, or maybe you're a student in school, which we do offer a student discount. Um, so that's available to you at 50% off the membership and membership starts at $39. So students can, can join for only $19.50 a month, which is really incredible. Then we have different tiers. We have two tiers, a virtual tier, and then we have virtual and in-person all in one. 
So that's available to you. You also get a consultation with me um, monthly in the second tier. And in the, the first tier, you, you also get a consultation with me when you join. So come hang out with us at the Design Coven. This is an example of what we do there. It's a mentorship uh, bridge from design school to the real world. So you get some real world action by being in the mentorship program. You're listening to the Holistic Interior Design Business Podcast. This is a podcast that guides you as a new or inspiring independent interior designer navigating your entrepreneurial path. Here with my over 20 years experience, I will share my holistic approach to design with intention and ancient practices, including feng shui, all incorporating mind, body, and spirit into my design projects. You will also learn from seasoned interior designers as they give strategies and insight of how they built their businesses and continue to work in the field. Together, we will discover supportive trade partners, new ideas, creatives, and inspiring artists from around the world. I'm your host, Rachel Lorraine Crawford. All righty. Welcome to October's Interior Design panel. We have Rihanna, Anna, and Elizabeth on today, which I'm super excited um, to share with all of you. They're amazing designers, so you guys will be able to get some advice from them as experienced designers as we kind of navigate our journeys. And I'm going to go ahead and um, let's start with Elizabeth. Can you start by just giving us a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your background and what types of design service you offer and who your clients are? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm New York City born and raised. I went to New York School of Interior Design Please excuse me if I drop any bad words because it's just the New York language. Um, I'll try to behave. I'm a residential designer um, and my clients range from first time homeowners to luxury flippers to multi-million dollar estates, you know, like the dream jobs. Thanks, Elizabeth. Uh, Rihanna. Yes, um, I also do residential design. I am also originally from the East Coast. I am the opposite, I'm so far South grew up, but almost so far south that it reverts back to New York. <laughs> so <laughs> um, a few F-bombs here and there are way too familiar in my vocabulary. Um, we do uh, kind of exclusive high-end residential design and our projects normally encompass um, new builds or full home remodels and then furnishings. So. And then, Anna, can you um, share a bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Rachel, for inviting me to this to this panel. Um, my name is Anna. I have a binational interior design firm, so I service both Mexico or northern part of uh, the U.S. border, and then San Diego. We do mostly residential, a little bit of flippers with some developers, and then. Uh, slowly getting into like the hospitality industry, which more like restaurants, breweries, um, things like that. I've been doing interior design. I graduated about eight years ago. So I worked for a boutique high-end residential firm for about three years before I started to branch out on my own. And I've had BCID studio for about five years now. So yeah, excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Our designers are um, starting out on their own, and some of them are are also working with um, other 
like brands and that kind of thing are, are starting to kind of get their feet wet. This is a question for all of you. Is there a certain path that you guys recommend that somebody that's coming into this field take? Like, do you have, or maybe from your experience, you you feel like they, you know, there's an easier way for them to, to kind of start? What would you recommend? And you're welcome to chime in as you are. I would say 100% you should work for an ASID designer or a showroom before launching your own business. Learning on the job gives you the opportunity to develop relationships with the vendors and contractors you're going to be working with when you start your own business. Plus, it gives you an opportunity to see all the back office workings, which is a really huge part of the business that you don't learn about in design school. I agree, Heidi. Oh, sorry, Rihanna. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I totally agree. I agree, I mean, I think the first thing um, ever since you're in school or starting on your own, I think the first thing you should focus on is I think working for someone else is great, but really figuring out what area or branch of interior design you want to be in because so there's so many branches of it. You know, you can have corporate, boutique interior design, residential, you have commercial, you have hospitality. All of them require, I think, a little bit of, you know, their own niche and strategies. Residential is definitely more hand-holding than if you go something more corporate. So I think defining first what branch you want to get into would be an amazing step. And then from there, like Elizabeth mentioned, getting your starting job in one of those areas that you're interested in, or at least trying it out, right? If you want to feel something a little bit more corporate, um, then you might want to go and try out companies that have those type of jobs. And if you want to do something more residential and are intrigued in it, then going off with someone that does residential so you can like dip your toes into those pools would be great. And then start, you know, simplifying your decisions from there. That would be awesome, I think. Good starting point. Yeah, and I have to totally agree with um, both of you just from, I know that there's this like, when you're in school, there's this magical fairy tale of you're going to graduate and you're going to have this beautiful design firm like the day after you graduate and you're going to have this fabulous design the clients that give you endless budgets and and no edits but that is just not uh reality and from personal experience i worked in all facets of design i worked i did commercial i did hospitality i did i worked for a furniture manufacturer i I'm so grateful for all of my experience all the way across the board. And I feel like it just sets you up for becoming more successful on your own. And it sounds awful to say, because I do really love to nurture and um, support the designers who work for me, but it's much better to make mistakes on someone else's dime than on your own. Yeah, for sure. And Rihanna, how long did it take for you to work for other people before you actually launched your own business and, and went off on your own? Um, I started working into interior design in 2005 and I started my own studio in 2017. Yeah. Um, so quite, quite some time. Uh, but there was also like other life changes and moving around and seeing where I wanted to be and really just figuring out what I wanted to do to set myself up for success and and not just necessarily, and everyone operates differently. Some people just jump right in and it's great. But for me, I just, I just did it to a different path. 
Yeah. And what about you, Anna? How long did it take for you to, to work for others? Um, you know, I've been working ever since I was 18, but mostly like on the customer service side. And then right after or right before I graduated school, I started working for a retail, like a furniture retail company, um, you know, getting a little bit more into the works. And I used to work for William Sonoma. So we did a lot of design services, but then I did three years for residential interior design. And from there, I, I branched off. I, I mean, looking back, it doesn't matter. All decisions are perfect and great at the yeah. time that they're done. But looking back, I think I may have wanted to make more mistakes off someone else's dime, but I've done them online at this point. But three years were great because it was the boutique interior design firm we were only three people so I got to wear so many hats in that specific firm it was like purchasing and designing and project management so I think that part was was good for me for for starting off and getting to know all of that back office part yeah I think that's huge knowing the the back end of actually purchasing and what all goes down with that because that's a yeah another that's a whole other monster yeah yeah Monster's the right word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elizabeth, what about you? Oh, I had an internship when I was at NYSID, um, working for a boutique firm. So it was two designers, one focused on space plan, the other focused on the decorating. And I would alternate days between the two of them. So it was a great opportunity to use all my skills from school. Um, but after I graduated, I went to... Um, one and then two of the top design firms in New York City where you have to sign NDAs to work with the clients. The clients were all Society Page, New York Times, or Black Book um, clients where you don't even meet with the client. They fly their assistant in because most of them expatriated and lived right outside the U.S. so they didn't have to pay taxes. And I mean, they had multi-million dollar accessory budgets. They designed custom Kristoff um, pieces for their children's kitchens. It was absolute insanity. And while it was a really interesting experience, the truth is I was the only designer in the firm. The rest of them were all decorators masquerading as designers. And it really upsets me when people don't make that distinction. The designer needs a minimum of two years of schooling. And I think all of you know, you need to know how to draft the basic principles of architecture. You need to understand heating and mechanical systems, plumbing, lighting design. Whereas a decorator, and there are some super talented decorators, don't have that same skill set. Um, and so it upset me that the firms were masquerading as designers when they were decorators, um, and they would use me to do all of their design stuff. And it was, I learned a lot. I learned how not to run a business. They were all bilking their clients. Um, and I promised I would leave with transparency and integrity when I ran my own business. But there were still very valuable experiences. Yeah, that seems like a crazy <laughs> experience. It was insane. It was insane. <laughs> I will have to say, I, I want to just circle and touch base back on that to where I, the, a lot of the ex major experience I gained from all the different facets of areas that I worked in and the different types of firms and the different setups. A lot of the, the experience was how I did not want to do something on my own. And, 
and the, and the same in terms of how we charge clients, how I internally operated my studio. You, it's just, it, until you go through that with different studios, you just, in my opinion, cannot do it on your own because you are going to, you're going to make mistakes. And especially if you hire and have people that work under you, you are going to affect them. And I just took, and like you said, it's, it's integrity and transparency in the way that you would want to run your studio. Yeah, for sure. I think that even for me, like just working for other people, it was like, you would just take no, okay, I'm not doing that, not doing that. <laughs> uh, Rihanna, you spoke a little bit about your team. How many people do you have on your on your team? Can you share with us kind of the, um, the lay of the land with like who you have on your team? How many are there and what are their job titles? Yes. Um, we're a little loose with job titles because I, I don't want to pigeonhole people. However, um, we did just lose our purchasing manager. So if anyone knows of one, we desperately need a, a purchasing manager. But if we count that person, um, Stephanie is my lead designer. Kayla is, uh, she was a junior designer, but she's so quickly moving up to being like a really good mid-level designer. Uh, Maggie is our design assistant. And then I have some part-time help every once in a while. And then I also have my nanny, which if anyone knows is basically you can, is cannot run your business if you do not have childcare. <laughs> and then Within the next year, I um, my plan is to hire another senior designer who can take on like full projects, project managing on their own. And at that point, I am my plan is to kind of cap it and reevaluate what project load we can take on with that many, and and try and, and stay and maintain. Um, oh, because growing is exhausting. <laughs> Yes. Um, Anna, what about you? How many are in your team or is it just you? Um, we are a team of three, so we're pretty small. I, my studio, I actually co-founded it with a colleague of mine. She's an architect. And then we have a junior designer who's quickly moving up to be a senior designer. We work our studio in like department organizational. So basically instead of one person kind of managing everything in one project, we have our department. So we have our purchasing department or my co my, my co-partner does purchasing admin. And then I am more of a lead designer, the principal designer that gets to lead with all the drawings and picking out all the, the, the it's fun. I am thinking about hiring someone part-time as well. Workload is starting to to you know grow a little bit as well but we're only three people in our studio nice elizabeth oh god you guys are badass compared to me i mean design is such a roller coaster and you know sometimes you have too many projects sometimes you have not enough projects i'm an erotic new yorker and i'm also like a type a control freak and so i'm like i can do it all myself and so I think that my business would probably be, will certainly be bigger and um, probably be a heck of a lot easier if I let go of those control tendencies. And so instead of hiring a design assistant, what I've done instead is built out a virtual team. And I have 
develop personal relationships with my vendors and contractors to the point that they're an extension of my business and they actually manage a lot of the tasks that I would otherwise be giving an assistant. I mean, let this be a lesson to all of you. If you actually, and this is Southern California, so I'm sure all of you do, but in New York, you lead with whoever's the nastiest wins. And it was very, um, very hierarchical. Whereas here, everyone's really nice, but I've gotten to know my people, you know, the people that I work with on a daily basis, and they're happy to to do my to-dos for me. And I look, I know that sounds princessy. I don't mean they're returning my samples for me. I mean that if I have an order, instead of sending it to, you know, my procurement department, I'm actually having my vendors track my orders for me and I'll just check in with them periodically. No, it's great. I love seeing everyone, how they kind of create their their space. And, and and that's why I wanted you guys to come on so that we can all see like what all the different personalities are. How do people build their businesses? How do they work? Who do they bring in? Just so that we can see that there's a multitude of, of ways and you can always hybrid as as we go. And there's no like one way to, to do things. So I think that's, that's awesome. Like being able to see a virtual uh, design firm versus, you know, having a team all together. And, and Anna and Rihanna, do you guys all come together in a studio or are you guys working from home or what's the dynamic there? I'm pretty flexible with my, my team. We do have, um, a weekly and I do have to, we do, I do have one more other person on my team that talking about letting go is I, uh, also, I mean, if you own a design firm, you, you have control issues, um, did all of the drawings on all of our projects. Because I wanted, I was just very particular about. I worked at an architecture firm. I am meticulous about our construction documents and our spec packages. And I have since let that go to a very trusted CAD drafter who does all of our drawings now. Um, so she's she's also part of our team, and she is is remote, is fully remote. But everyone else is is flexible. Uh, we come into the studio as much as we we can. Um, I also have designers who have children who work with with me and school schedules and pick up and sick. And so we are as flexible as possible. Um, we have some in-person weekly meeting, production meeting, where we go through every single client as a team and talk about it and who needs help and and what phase that is invoice all the good stuff but other than that i mean as everyone knows you have to run around to clients you're sometimes going to showrooms you're going to meetings you're you're doing all of this so necessarily being in the studio like nine to five is just not you know, a feasible situation although i feel like there's lots of kind of, I hate to use old school, but there are a lot of old school firms that, that operate like that and require their designers to be in studio Monday through Friday, designated hours. Yeah. Yeah, I have an office, I have a studio in Tijuana and then I have a, I co-share an office studio in downtown San Diego with an architect. I'm in and out all the time, like Rihanna says, like, I don't know, but <laughs> It's, it's sometimes like sometimes I don't get to enjoy my studio as much because I'm running around in projects and doing everything but I really like it because I do have meetings in my studio with clients um, sometimes it's at their home or 
residence, but it's nice to have a place where I know I can be there. Like I always, Mondays and Fridays, I never schedule meetings out of office because I like to start my day in the office, get organized and then kind of end my day in the office as well. So um, I'm usually not in the studio Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays or in and out, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. I, my, our junior designer is here full time, all the time. I think also people are dropping off samples, packages are coming in. So it's nice to have someone that's, you know, there to receive and I don't know, just anything that's needed. But during pandemic, we did remote also for a while. So we, I, I've been in this, I've had both offices since January. Okay. Nine months. Yeah, I mean, that must be a heck of a lot of juggling between two countries and two different offices across the border. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Meters and feet, you know, yeah, I have to switch back and forth, but <laughs> I will tell all designers, you need to learn meters. You need to learn that. Like, yeah, if you order lighting or if you order anywhere outside the United States, it's all in metric. It's not that hard to learn it. Yeah. <laughs> and they just learned the calculation and then you're fine. So then, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what has been your, your biggest struggle navigating your own business? Um, as you guys have, have gone off, was there something that surprised you or, you know, that would kind of took you a little off guard? Um, for me, it's been figuring out how many jobs I can handle on my own at the same time. Um, you know, I find that my sweet spot is between seven and 13 projects, depending on how big they are. But the point is, if you're carrying too many projects, you're going to make mistakes. And those mistakes can get expensive. And then you have to come clean with the clients and the contractors and let them know that you've made mistakes. Um, and by the way, if you make mistakes, always be honest um, and be honest as early as possible. The client might be upset, the contractor might be upset, but you're going to be able to sleep at night because you're not worrying who's going to find out what went wrong when. You know, it's hard to say no, but you do need to be honest about what your ideal workload is. Yeah. Yeah. What surprised me the most was that. It's like what um, Elizabeth just said, it's like, being an independent interior designer requires so much commitment and sacrifice. And when I started, I thought it was gonna be easier and better than having a nine to five. But I mean, they both have their pros and their cons, but being an independent designer is not always for everyone because all responsibility and liability is carried on your shoulders. And there's a lot to digest sometimes. It's like Elizabeth said, like any mistake, you know, deadlines, people are expecting a lot of information from you and it has to be very accurate. So I think that's what surprised me the most that when I used to work my nine to five, it was more obviously easy peasy, relax. You go in, you do your work and then kind of clock out. But then when I started on my own, it became very real how a very simple decision, a GC can call you to ask can carry so much weight because in interior design and you know everyone that's in school and once they get out there in the field they're gonna learn that it's an entire process so without one thing nothing can move forward right and if you don't have a specific information then they can't continue 
tiling or plumbing or whatever. Those, and it's the stupidest thing because figuring out what trim can be on a tile or something is like stopping everything else. And once you make that decision and something is laid down, laid down, installed, like it's, I mean, there is going back, but it's gonna cost you. <laughs> so, so it's just that part. That that part has surprised me, and it keeps surprising me. For for me, the biggest, I guess, surprise was how much you need to learn to let go of, and being okay with that. But and but also still maintaining a lot of responsibility. Uh, I will have to say that everyone on this panel from what I'm gathering, we are all designers that are have our own business. There's many, many uh, people who want to own a business and they decide that they can do that in interior design. Mm. And, and they run their business very differently. They, uh, they outsource everything and they hire and then they market and they very kind of efficiently and successful. Some of them are very successful, successfully run their own business and that is uh, it's just it's a different it's a different model we so it was my surprise like running into that a lot with other designers who owned their business and kind of evaluating how I was running my firm versus them it wasn't a surprise but it's just a uh, learning to because it does not it, this however I'm going to say finding a like family and work balance when you do run your own design business because it is all-encompassing like you are you will you think you're gonna have Fridays Aloha Fridays but they do not exist you will work more than you ever have before but it's just it's it's for it just feels differently because you are working for yourselves um, and that is why also talking with my team of, and we, I, I run a very democratic studio. We talk about everything. <laughs> we and I really want to get to a point of kind of normalcy and, 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 and calming out so we all can have a balance because bigger is not always better. And that's just, that's just where we are. Yeah, that's super interesting. You talking about people just wanting a biz, wanting to have a business, and then going into the design that in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think that businesses like that come from influencers, and while they look like they have it all on Instagram, their businesses aren't going to have uh, the longevity that ours do because they're not founded on the same principles. No, and I and I agree and there there's no competition. There's just a it's just it's just a difference. And then and I do think they can be very successful if they hire very well. Which I, I have seen. Yeah, for sure. I think I and I don't think that that was something that um was probably around maybe 10 years ago, right? It seems like right. maybe that was something that's kind of evolved through this design industry and all the other things that are happening. Cause I, I don't remember seeing it before then, uh, unless it was happening and I just didn't realize. Was there anything that you guys um, wish you knew? I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about that, but is there anything that you wish you could tell yourself maybe at that time when you first started to, to go off on your own, um, you know, advice that you would give yourself for starting out? Yeah. Oh, I would say for sure, 
Surround yourself with a community of designers to bounce ideas off of because you can't possibly know everything. So having a group willing to share resources, ideas, and experiences is like having a business partner. Um, I have three best friends from graduate school and they're all over the country. And so they're not in direct competition with me. So it's easy to feel comfortable communicating with them. Um, but we communicate on a regular basis. We go to the trade shows together. And if somebody's looking, trying to identify a chair, um, we'll send it out to the group and inevitably one of us has the answer. If we've got a tricky space plan, one of us inevitably has the answer. It's really nice. I mean, you ladies who have your own firms, you have that, you have your community, but like me, the solopreneurs, we don't. And so it really, it's nice to have a community. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned previously, and this is my personal experience, some people are much more defined when they're in school as to what branch they want to go out to. I started architecture for two years and then I dropped out and went into interior design. But um, when I started, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I studied at the Design Institute of San Diego and you know, it's an awesome school. I love it. But our last year, we started getting a little bit more into the business side. We only had like two or three classes of business part. But what I'm trying to say is um, I wish that that last semester of school or that last year semester of school, I had done more research as to what branch of interior design I wanted to go um, on to. Like I mentioned, their fr there's friends of mine or, you know, uh, students that we went to school together and right off the bat, they always knew, I wanna go work at a huge firm, um, you know, all the benefits, nine to five, and that's just the life I want forever and ever. And I'm like, okay, great. And I was very, like, I, I didn't know. So I would just suggest um, whether it's doing internships or finding the time to interview some designers or getting into the community, going to ASID events, you know, making the right questions. Don't be afraid to do them. Don't be embarrassed to ask the questions. You know, what's the pay like? How do entry level jobs start? Do I want to go more corporate? Do I want to branch out on my own? And then uh, definitely joining all the associations or, or events. There's always so many more levels you can explore and get into depending on what branch you want to get into. That's why I think the startup point would be what interests you in the interior design world. You can be a furniture maker if you want, and then that's just it. There's so many intricate parts to fabricating a chair. So, um, you know, just exploring that part, defining that part first, right? And then kind of go from there and figuring out what certifications could, not necessarily that you need, but will benefit you to keep growing in that area. And it's always fine to change your mind, but all the experience and all the knowledge you learn along the way will help you as you continue on your interior design journey. So. Um, I insist to do a little bit more research on the specific branch you want to you want to focus on, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, having that, that was the hardest. That for me, that was the hardest part. Some people know. Oh, I want to do residential, and perfect, great, and you know, but figuring that part first. And if you're defined and you know where you want to go, then just 
figure out what you need to get there. Even in residential design or in corporate design, there's branches within that part, right? Like we mentioned, admin or purchasing or designing or specifying. So there's just so much, so many parts to grow in, right? So yeah, some are two sets. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I would say that um, for myself, if I went back to tell myself something to schedule vacations and take them, it might feel like the sky is going to fall if you are gone but your clients will survive, your projects will survive. If you have set them up correctly, you can be gone for a week or two and it, you, it will be okay. <laughs> Just take them because then you won't ever take them. Um, and I do wanna circle back to what you mentioned before about um, us having our, our own firms yeah. and kind of stuff being internalized. That That's a little true, but we, I have a, a great community of designers who don't work for me. They reach out to me all the time and I reach out to them like, hey, do you know where this light is from? This and that. I had a, a designer who is on this literally two doors down from me uh, come into the studio and be like, hey, I'm working on this kitchen. I'm stuck. And I'm, of course, like, okay, stop. We'll help you. And, and, and we open we share information in our studio. And I hate to keep using the phrase old school, but just we don't operate like previous design firms did where their worth was almost valued of this privileged knowledge that they would hold on so tight to. And yeah. we just don't operate like that. I'm like, here, you want my title, my CAD title block so you don't have to spend hours doing it? take it if you here's here's this chair oh i found this great vendor use this person oh here's our rep it's we're just like open free information like that and a lot of people don't operate like that for me i feel like what goes around comes around so when i need help i feel like i can reach out and ask and and um, people are hopefully willing to share but that is still a, a huge part, whether you work on your own or you have a team with you. It's, it's, I, I don't think they're exclusive of each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was part of like why I wanted to create this group is to create that community, to be able to be open, to be able to share all of our resources, give people what they need, support each other. Cause you're right. Like when I got out of school, it was like, nobody shared anything. It was so secretive and I was just like, you know, it's a very strange mentality to me. And because and from my point of view, there isn't necessarily competition to where when you get to a certain point, you will very much learn that a client that works with you and you guys have a great relationship is a good fit versus the client or versus the designer next door who gets a job that you thought you wanted. It wasn't, it wouldn't have been right. Like that client wasn't right. You need to curate the client's that you work well with and work together and are meant to be. Otherwise, that's when you hear all these nightmare like client stories of they didn't get along or they're not paying invoices or this or something is because it wasn't right to begin with. Yeah, for sure. We can all do residential design, same zip code if we want. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Rihanna has her style. Elizabeth has her special touch style. So funny to see that it's, you know, word of mouth. Um, I've had designers or my previous boss, she sends over people to me like, hey, you know, I don't have the workload anymore, but I'm going to share it with 
someone else. So at the end of the day, there's room for all of us to to work together and share experiences or um, vendors and sources. That, yeah, I love it. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that gets a little tricky is is pricing. Are you guys willing to share? Like, do you guys do hourly? Do you do flat rate? Do you do a combination? Like, how do you guys determine how you're pricing your, your projects? My girlfriends and I from grad school all tried different models. And we all came back to the fact that hourly is the fairest way to do it. Um, now, I was actually reading an article in Business of Home yesterday. And if you don't subscribe to Business of Home, do their their print magazine and their virtual newsletters weekly. They're great. Are wealths of resource. I love it. Um, very much along the lines of Rachel. Is it's very collaborative. It's very informative. It's very supportive. But um, they talked about different. You know that they'll do hourly with some clients and they'll do flat with others. For me and my girlfriends, what we found is some clients are going to be more indecisive than others. So if you do a flat rate, you're taking the short end of the stick. If you're, if you're actually flying through uh, because you've done tons of kitchens and baths and you have a method of specifying, the client is going to feel shortchanged with the flat rate. So I feel for me, the most transparent way to do it is hourly. But that's what works for me because I'm a solopreneur. You ladies who run your own businesses, probably it gets confusing to do flat rate because your hourly is going to be different than your junior designers. So take it away, ladies, and say what you do. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the, uh, the what I explain to a lot of clients is that when... Um, during like our initial client call, I'm, I, I very much encourage them to speak with other designers as well because they're, our industry is bananas. There are no standards. Everyone does everything differently the way that works best for them and different in that it doesn't fit one for all clients or projects. I've been doing this for quite some time <laughs> and we operate and I have a payroll so we uh, obligations we operate on a flat fee with some hourly charges our my philosophy design behind that is my value is not time-based it is our our designs and our knowledge and the years and years of design that i have done that go into doing your project as quickly and efficiently as it does get completed i just know what goes into a certain scope of work. So our flat fee is actually always different per project because it's associated with a very, very detailed scope of work, which is clearly defined upfront and cl and very clearly agreed upon. And then there's, there's never an, any feedback of what was, what is this bill for? What is this time for? What is this? It is all completely agreed upon and negotiated up front. And there is never any pushback on our end. And the one thing that we do charge hourly for is styling and accessorizing because that isn't, it's just a beast on its own. Like we all love doing it, talking about like design. And when I refer to design, it's more like interior architecture um, versus furnishings and um 
accessorizing. Accessorizing and styling is, is just this whole other conglomerate of, <laughs> of design. And it, to me, has the largest variable. It could take us like three days to do a 500 square foot space. Or it could take us three days to do a 3,000 square foot home. It's just, so we just charge hourly for that. And it's because it, it's all over the place. And it, that's the one thing we charge hourly for. Well, can I ask you, Rihanna, is it something like, obviously, depending on the scope, and I'll share how I built, because I have a, I have various ways of billing, but mm-hmm. can I, depending on the scope of work, do you kind of guesstimate your hours and then multiply it by an hourly fee or do you guesstimate it by the time you're going to spend on the project let's say six months and then it's like a fixed fee for six months or that same fixed fee for 12 months like how do you i'm intrigued because i've struggled a lot with the billing part Mm -hmm. and um and i personally i kind of guesstimate my hours that's going to take me depending on the scope of work like you mentioned and then i multiply it by my hourly base but then sometimes i have that feeling that elizabeth elizabeth mentioned that i end up getting the short end of the stick because i end up get if i guesstimated 40 hours the reality is i end up investing 60 you know also yeah I, yeah no i'm wondering if you do just like I will not always, but I will always charge, I don't know, just to give off a round number, but like a thousand dollars a month for six months, 10 months, 12 months. Like, yeah. do you have a specific way of coming up with that number? Yes. Yes, very much so. So, so two things, when we say hourly, hourly is not, when you're charging hourly, you are not charging every minute of that you put in into that project when you are billing a client hourly you're billing you're billing like a threshold because you're like oh how can i charge them three hours of sourcing for this lamp because i had in my mind that i wanted this specific lamp and couldn't find it right it's just not not feasible a hundred is an easy number so i'm going to use a hundred so say we're doing a full house construction i just know what goes into it um, and I know, and it's depending on like the bathrooms, the size of the house. So what we will do is we take a 50% deposit up front because the design process is very front loaded. Um, and then we take a, the remaining amount, so say it was 50, we divide that among the remaining months of equal payments until the project is complete. We always overestimate by two. <laughs> um so it was they it was a hundred. We charged fifty up front and then the remaining fifty is divided among right. monthly payments. And they know so they know I'm getting fifteen because every month they're getting a bill for twenty five hundred dollars or something. Right, 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 right. And then okay. I I bill different. I bill hourly as consultants. If people, you know, ask for it and it's requested, I do I have Right now, I have nine projects, two of them hourly. So um, I round to the nearest 15 minute because sometimes it is a call that takes yeah. 15 minutes, 30 minutes, but it's still, you know, answering. So I round up to every quarter of the hour. I build them at the end of the month. And then I have clients that are like hospitality where I just do a X amount per square foot. So if it's I, when I was in hospitality, you that's how that's how it's built. And I think that coming from hospitality and coming from a commercial, I am much more comfortable with a fixed fee. Uh, yeah. 
just because I also have a, a lot of historical data of, of hours spent on certain types of projects and with yeah, my so you already know. Yeah, and with my designers who work for me, I go back and reconcile their hours versus what what we charged and make sure that right. we're tracking correctly. Right. Okay. Yeah. When I charge hourly, I'm very transparent. Like my time is at X amount and then my junior designer, which she will be the one drafting, she's the lower rate. And I let them know, like she spent 20 hours on your drawings. I almost spent five, right? Like, no, we're seeing it, but, um, hospitality projects, which I'm barely getting into it's by the square foot. If a colleague or an architect or a GC invites me to the project, I let them know, like, I charge $8 a square foot, but for you, it'll be seven. You have the freedom to charge your client eight or be as transparent because if you want to, like, you know, we want to keep working or I want them to keep recommending me. And then I also have clients who sometimes don't require a turkey type of project, like finish to end. They just want the concept and the design. They don't want the drawings. So I guess it depends on the client and what they need. If they do need me to do uh, the designing and sourcing, and then we kind of stop there. And then if they do need drawings, then we'll move on to that. But I always recommend, so I do them almost for certain projects, almost like packages. So you have your design and concept, it's X amount. Mm-hmm. And then you have your contract document, which mm-hmm. will be more investment. It does take more time. And then if you want me to supervise the implementation of it, then there's a different amount, right? So out of the nine projects I have, um, I'm going to say I have about four ways of billing because I have the hospitality, which is a square foot. I have two of those, two that are consultant, and then some that are just the design. And then let me see how I feel if I need drawings along the way. Sure, why not? Um, and then I have a couple turnkey where it's just a monthly installment um, until we terminate the contract. There's additional services if they have more than one revision. Those ones are charged hourly. So within those fixed fee projects, there's additional services that are consulted at an hourly, hourly rate. Yeah. And yeah. finally, finally, what I do is I do charge a fixed fee for all the design drawings and implementation, but then for purchasing, like Brianna said, it's kind of a different monster. I am very transparent. I give my clients my trade pricing, like as it goes, but I charge 20% over that. So that is my designer fee. So sometimes a project is turnkey and when I need turnkey, I do separate my contracts, even if it's the same project into two phases. So we have your finishes phases and designing and more of a on-site thing. And then we have your decoration and furnishings and styling contract. So for that, um, there's just a 20% over the trade pricing, or if there is no trade pricing, it's just 20% over that because that complements all the purchasing, keeping track of everything, making sure it arrives on time, if you have to do any returns, and then installing it, right? So 
we do a white glove delivery, obviously the client is the one that pays for all of these additional services, storage, the white glove and everything that's not included, right? right. So there, there's a bunch of ways to bill. Definitely, it's all kind of trial and error situation. I mean, since I started my business, I did have to like kind of bend my arm a little bit and fine, I'll do design and concept for one fee and then we'll figure it out. Slowly, I'm getting out of that because it sometimes does suck that I do do the design and concept part, but I never see it follow through. Like the client yeah. takes care of it. They're not gonna design it. They're, they're not gonna draw it. They're gonna figure out with their GCs on site or the supervision or implementation, I'm not making sure that the tile is being installed correctly or the materials. So that I, I'm trying to kind of face out from that part. Yeah. But when you start business, you kind of have to like grab what's coming towards you. The nice thing is that designing in the first phase, that schematic part and the design development, I mean, it's a couple of weeks. So it's whatever you charge, you're gonna be, uh, you're gonna be investing like four weeks at the most to that project, six weeks if there's revisions. So there's a bunch of ways to do it. Yeah, I do want to circle back to what you mentioned about how you charge different hourly rates for different people on your team. Uh, we do not do that. I char Everyone gets charged the same hourly for a, a few reasons. I just personally feel like it like puts a monetary devalued on people's time. And it's also... So it gives the client a mental association with that person to where I like if a client calls and is like, well, I, I want to pay for you. I'm not paying for you. I don't want to pay. I'm not paying for a junior designer. I'm paying for your time. And it work. It goes both ways to where, well, if I don't have her do something, I don't have the time to do something else. So her time is not more important than my time. Her time is highly valuable to me. Uh, so it's just, I would just be wary when you start to hire and when you start to bill, um, about separating, separating that out, um, to where it's just, it's just an hourly fee across the board and then they're not getting, and then there's also no pushback on, on invoices from clients, um, about like, oh, well, why did this junior designer take 10 hours to do this? Like, could you have right. done it? three hours but charge me more hourly and then I would have paid less like that is just it get, yeah it can get ridiculous math of, yeah yeah um, um I just wanted to come on because uh we're coming up to the top of the hour and I think there's a couple of questions here um from uh from Jamie and from Nicole and um, Jamie asked Elizabeth do you charge different hourly rates depending on the job I charge the same exact hourly rate regardless to Anna's point if a client is purchasing through me, I extend trade pricing. I set that standard ages ago because we have the internet and people know what things cost. So like Anna, I'll, I'll extend trade pricing and then I'll charge a sliding scale depending if something is really inexpensive, I'll take a higher commission. If it's less expensive, I'll take a lower commission. But like Rihanna, I don't have clients push back because I'm always being super fair and transparent. And then Nicole had a question for Rihanna. She wanted to know, does your flat rate fee include furnishing? It depends. The, the scope of project is always, always different. Um, so say, for example, we have a, a whole home um, construction project. There would be like option one and option two. And option one is we do all the construction. And option two is we do all the construction plus furnishings. 
So it would be just 50 and 100 is easy. So like option A is 50 and option B is 100 because it's double the work. Anyone else have any questions before we wrap up? Oh, no, I was going to say that was awesome. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, Rachel, yes. Thank you for the opportunity. It's really remarkable what you do. I don't know how you get everything done with the hours in your day. I don't know if you somehow have the magic to create extra hours, but um, what you're doing is a tremendous value to all different parts of the community. So thank you. Ah, thank you. That's very sweet. That was very well spoken. Yes, I have to agree with that 100%. Well, thanks. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and if you know of any designers that um, I think what I'm going to do is kind of shift the format a little bit and have somebody come on to talk about like a certain thing. I was thinking about like biophilic design, you know, incorporating plants and that kind of thing, having them come on the podcast to share what the heck it is. And then (laughs) like a workshop with the designers to like share, like, how do you implement it? Like, what are the steps to include that into um, your work? And, And also there's like visibility and like, you know, showing up live and, and being able to be seen and, and so different sort of um, mini workshops within the the community. And I feel like we've gotten a ton with learning from, you know, this design panel and then other things I've been thinking about is like creating some sort of an in-person mixer meetup for like all the designers that have been on the panels, connecting with the actual members and other people and maybe reps and like doing something more interactive just to kind of create this community and support because I feel like everyone that's come on, all of you guys have just been so wonderful in sharing your wisdom and being so open. And and it's just been really, really cool to get to know you all better too. And like being able to go to events together and like see each other and just having that, you know, that camaraderie of, of being in it together through the struggle that we, we all go through. And and I mean, and if you are open to even expanding, it would be, I, I would think it would be beneficial for people learning if you brought in like uh, an upholsterer, yeah, a custom upholsterer, or like a custom furniture uh, fabricator, so that they can communicate to new designers how they operate and how they need a designer to transfer information to them to get the output that they want. Exactly. Yeah, we'll definitely be doing um, an in-person upholstery workroom showroom thing. We've done that with. Um, with drapery, but upholstery, I think is a huge, so we'll definitely do that. And if you guys have any other people that you think would benefit as far as like vendors or your own upholster or any other workrooms or showrooms that you think would love to share their knowledge with all of us, I'll definitely reach out to them. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Holistic Interior Design Business Podcast. If it's one that you have been enjoying, please share with anyone else that you think can benefit from this knowledge and leave us a five-star review that helps us get seen and found by other new and aspiring interior designers. And if you're looking for mentorship, I invite you to join our club here at the Design Coven. It's a bridge between school and real life interior design. We get in much deeper there. We have virtual and in-person events. So everyone is welcome. You don't need to have a design degree to be part of it. Just an interest in holistic interior design. I also want to thank our editor, Marcy Ferry, Blake Ferris, for all of her special help 
with the podcast, our social media posts, newsletter, and lastly, Kinseth Thibodeau, who is our music composer. Until next time, be well, and we will see each other soon.